The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bibles here with you, you can turn there. Romans 14. Um, we're uh, excited to start a new year, right? And to, to consider what God is doing and what God wants us to be doing in this new year. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Chris looked at Romans two, uh, Revelation 2 and 3 and the words that Christ had to the church there. And uh, this week, I want to look at Romans 14, because as a community, we're seeking to reach out to people that are different from us. That's just part of living in Ames, right? We, we have people from all over the world come to Ames, Iowa, um, to learn, to study, to uh, make a living, etc. And we have the chance to reach out to them, to share God's love and, and the gospel with them. And uh, and, and that means that you, when you reach out to someone who's different from you, there's just some... some some barriers, some hurdles that take place. Um, and when, when you're doing those things, how do you have community together? What do you have in common in that sense together? And of course, that's, COVID in some ways is a great both object lesson of what it, what it takes to reach out to people who are different from us, right? Because uh, if, if nothing else, COVID has taught us that everyone sees the world a little differently, right? They, they see some things and they're like, oh, this is how we should react. This is what we should do. And, and then you get out in community and you realize that people see it differently than you do, right? There's just different things that are happening, different things that, you th that different people should be happening. And then when we get out in the world, um, it's, it's, uh, we're kind of forced to participate in a world that and in some ways makes us feel like the world's gone a little crazy, right? Like, why is, it, why is the world the way it is, right? What's gone wrong with the world that this is the way we are? Um, and that, that happens uh, in a lot of ways, again, just because we're reaching out to people who are different from us. We're showing love to them. I was doing a little research on this, and I came across this the, the idea of what's called moral injury. Moral injury. It's the idea that um, the, the, the moral standards that you face, that you believe in, that you've kind of in, gotten since you were a child, etc., that you believe in, uh, you have to see broken or you have to participate in things where you feel like this is wrong, this is not so right. Um, it's very similar, they say, to PTSD for soldiers, right? I remember uh, my, my grandfather, uh, who was uh, a Marine uh, in World War II, um, not till, the, till really the end of his life did he talk about it much, but what he, he did, he talked about one time on Iwo Jima, jumping into a foxhole to escape you know, bullets that are flying, and being confronted with a Japanese soldier and having to, in a sense, kill, or not just in a sense, but to kill that Japanese soldier in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And, of course, that went against everything that he had been taught growing up, right? Just You're taught to kill as a soldier, but when you actually have to do it, it's traumatizing. And there's a sense in which in today's world, we're faced with the same kind of scenarios where we're repeatedly faced with things that we, we think aren't necessarily right, but we, we, we have to, to, to at least go with the flow or figure out some way of surviving in the midst of everything that's going on around us. And so 
So when you have morals, that is, you have different ideas of what's right and wrong, and you want to, to live those out, you have a, a desire, we, we all should have that desire, frankly, to live out what we believe is right and wrong, it, and yet we're faced with situations where we're repeatedly like challenged or we, we see things happening that don't go along with that, it creates this sense of, um, I mean, you feel tired all the time. You feel, uh, you, you, f- you feel like, like the world doesn't make sense all of the time. And it's compound- compounded by the fact that when, when we go to make moral judgments, moral decisions, we all have what, what you might call cognitive distortions for how we view reality. And when you view reality a certain way, it's gonna, you, you, that's going to guide how you make your decision about what's right and wrong. So for instance, some of us catastrophize things, right? We see something going wrong in the world and we think, the world's going to end. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a catastrophe. Some of us, on the other hand, we always minimize everything. Like, no, oh, this is no big deal. It's just, just it's, not, it's nothing. It's, it'll be, it's just, it'll, it'll run its course and it'll be over right? Have you heard either of those two reactions in the last 24 months? You know, it's, it's, the world's gonna end. <laughs> it's, it's nothing. It's just a flu, right? Both of those are, in a sense, cognitive distortions of just looking at reality. Not only that then, but we, because we do those two things, we often polarize. It's either one or it's the other, it can't be somewhere in the middle. It can't be something else. It's either this or it's that. That's all it is. And the other thing we do a lot of times is we just filter, right? We filter what we hear. To just whatever, We hear whatever we agree with. Does that make sense? Wives know this about their husbands really well, right? Because you know, they hear, you know, I hear when my wife calls me for dinner, but I don't necessarily hear everything else, you know? Why is that? Because I filter, right? We filter what we hear. And when we, when we do that, again, we create these, um, when you have you know, these kind of situations where you're not necessarily seeing the whole of reality and you're still trying to make moral decisions, you have people that are different from you doing the exact same thing, you're not always going to agree. And you say, well, how do, how do you have community then in these kind of scenarios? Well, it is difficult, but actually what's fascinating is this is not something new. In fact, in the New Testament, the apostles had to deal with this a lot. As they ran into this issue of Jews and Gentiles both coming to faith in Christ and being this one new man in Christ. And what is this supposed to look like now? And so if you're here this morning and you're kind of exploring what does it mean to trust in Christ, what does it mean to be a Christian, I'm going to talk, I'm talking mostly to believers this morning about what it means to, how, how we treat one another, how we live in community, how sometimes we fail at treating one another correctly. But hopefully it shows you as we walk through this what the gospel is really about and why it truly provides hope to the world. 
So we're going to look this morning at how do we create community when we have different ideas and different moral standards for what we think we should happen in the world. How do you encourage love for one another when we are so different sometimes? And the example, again, is, is flowing out of the situation that arose when the, the Gentiles and the Jews both came to Christ to follow Christ, and they, and they had a different ideas about what the morality of the church should be like. So you had Jews telling Gentiles, you can't be a Christian unless... <laughs> You're doing X, Y, and Z. And in Acts 15, the the Gentile believers appealed to the apostles and to the Jerusalem church to be like, okay, how is this supposed to work? What are we supposed to do here? And they had this huge debate where where you brought the apostles together, you had the, the elders of the Jerusalem church, you had Jerusalem church members talking, listening to one another. And, 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 and hearing what God was doing among the Gentiles, and at the same time, uh, considering, okay, how do, how do we make this work? And so, the lead pastor of the Jerusalem church in Acts 15 says, he kind of summarizes it this way, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient times, ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so what you have here is, is they're saying, okay, how do, we, how do we deal with this? And they kind of give a judgment. This is how, because what would, what, what would take place is you have Gentiles getting, getting saved, but they're like, well, I, I, I bank at the local temple. I get my groceries at the local temple. I do a lot of business at the local temple. And the Jews are like saying, you can't go to that temple. That's, I, that's worshiping idols. You can't even go to the temple. You can't, you can't buy food at the temple. You can't buy meat offered to idols. What are you doing? And so you had two different standards of morality about how to live this out. And and he's saying, okay, here's some things you should do. Not necessarily you should, because, you know, eating something offered to idols, as we'll see later, is necessarily wrong. But because you have a testimony, if you're trying to reach the Jews in the community, here's some things you should consider. These are the things you should practice. And so what they did was they, they wrote a letter to those churches and they sent with Paul and Barnabas, they sent some people back because they couldn't give like the 320-page transcript of, here's our debate, you know. Here's the 320-page transcript of the debate. You can read all the nuances. You can, you know, can notice what we're saying about this. But so they just sent messengers to be like, here, we're going we're gonna to validate that this letter is from the Jerusalem church and that if you have questions, they're, they're going to try to answer questions. But of course, that didn't really solve it. Totally, there was just there's more things that needed to be said, and so you actually in in the New Testament you have basically two books that are written about this in Galatians and Romans, and then you have a, a, a significant portion of a book in First Corinthians eight through ten that's written about this. Why? Because it's it's complicated. There's a lot of questions that come into play. You can't just proof text this and be like, well, here's a verse, and that answers your question. You know, you, you had to think through multiple issues. So in Galatians, the main point in Galatians is if you start adding something to the gospel, if you start saying this this practice of morality, this standard of morality is is so important, 
then you're actually adding to the gospel and you're preaching another gospel. He's saying you've got, you got to watch the standards that you, that you insist upon because if you insist on some standards, then, then you're actually adding to the gospel. Now, he's not, not talking about some basic, clear standards from Scripture, but he's talking about the app, sometimes the applications of those standards or just other standards we think are important to us. And he's, and he's saying, if you add to that, you're preaching another gospel, right? Because the basic gospel is we're saved by faith. It's nothing we do. Christ died for our sins and rose again. It's not Christ died for your sins and rose again, and you need to give, you know, 10% of your income, or and you need to do this, or and you need to do that. No, the way you become a Christian is you trust in what Christ has done for you. Full stop, bottom line. But then in, in Corinthians, he's dealing with specific issues. So in Corinthians, he's, he says, knowledge puffs up. You can know your standard. You can know it's the right standard. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And he goes on and talks about, hey, I know idols are nothing, but he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10 to say, but idolatry is real. And this is like, okay, Paul, wait a second here. Idols are nothing, but idolatry is real. How, does, how do those two go together? And I'm, we're not going to go this morning, but he's just saying it's, it's nuanced. It's, it's, it can be, especially in situations where you get, get into specific situations about getting meat from the temple. Uh, you have to think through the issues. It's not just about your conscience. It's about others' conscience. And he also spends a, a good amount of time in 1 Corinthians 9 saying, hey, look, it's, it's more about your heart for others. I, can beca- I, I become all things to all men that I, by, by, my, by all means save some. But here in Romans 14, he's dealing with it from a broader perspective. He comes into Romans 14 from having written basically all of the book talking about the gospel, talking about the mercy and grace of God. And here in, in Romans 14, he gets into just, okay, uh, he's broadening out from specifically temple issues and saying, we're going to run into different moral standards as a community. We're going to have different ideas about what, those, about what we should do and not do. And I want you to think through how to do that well as a community. And so... Um, so I just want to walk through what Paul says in Romans 14 and, and help us to see how we can together glorify God. Because that's where he ends up. If you notice in Romans 15, he says, may, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that you t- may together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was something before we lost our wedding rings that was engraved on my wedding ring, Romans 15, verse 6, that we t- made together with one voice glorify God. Because that's what we're about as a community, glorifying God who's rescued us from sin and death. So just to give you an illustration maybe of, of how difficult this can be at times, uh, when the missionaries were going into Hawaii trying to translate the Bible so that the Hawaiians could understand the Bible for themselves, they, they, uh, they came up against the command, don't commit adultery. And they were talking to the Hawaiians, okay, we want to write, how do we translate don't commit adultery? Sounds pretty straightforward. How do, we, how do we translate it? And they're like, well, we have 
23 words for adultery. So the, the problem is, is if that we use any one of those words, people will be like, well, I, I'm not doing that one version of adultery, so I'll do the other 22. But if we put all 23 words for adultery in there, then some people are going to be like, well, I haven't tried that version of adultery, so I'm going to try. I didn't, I didn't even know you could do commit adultery that way, so I'm going to do that. And so the, the, the complication is not necessarily with the words we use. Something, it's the human heart that we're dealing with. Right? We're dealing with our heart and how we operate with each other. And so ultimately they solved it by saying, don't sleep mischievously. And that kind of covered everything, you know what I mean? But, but we're dealing with these issues, trying to think through how do we care for one another in, in, in the midst of this. So Romans 14, he starts off, and he's, he uses these terms weak and strong to talk about. And, and when you read these, again, sometimes when we think weak, um, especially if you're a guy, you think weak is, weak is bad, okay? If, if you're weak, you're bad. But he's not using it in a, in a, a pejorative sense, in a, in a negative sense. He's just saying, if you're weak, you're unable to do something. So on the moral scale here, you're on the, I can't do this, as opposed to someone who says, I can do this. So he's saying, you've got some people who are coming in saying, I can't do certain things, and some people who are, who are saying, I can do certain things. Those who can't it's not a great translation, but it's translated weak in the ESV. Okay? And then he translated, those who can are, are, are translated strong. But it's just a matter of wh- which side of the line do you fall on. So, so let's just see what he says here about some of the issues they were dealing with in the Roman church. He says, as for those, as the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the, the weak person eat, can eat only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is, it is better, it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So he's saying, look, you welcome people, but not to sit and argue about what's uh, different opinions, different ideas on, on these moral stands. He's like, somebody's going to be like, well, I can only eat vegetables. I'm a vegetarian. And you, sh- and, and you, shouldn't, you shouldn't get into debates about that. He's like, some people can, wh- wh- and he gives the reason why. He, he doesn't notice in, in other passages he might get into, well, here's a reason how you go somewhere or whatever. He, he just said, the reasons why aren't that important, what you got to remember is, is that they serve God, not you. God's their master, not you. And so if you're sitting there being like, well, that's a bad, it's a bad stand to take, or well, why would you take that stand? That's crazy. Who, would, who doesn't like bacon? I mean, come on. Why would you, would you eat broccoli when you can eat bacon? And yeah, there's an amen here. Uh, uh, and he's saying, don't get into arguments about that. It's, it's, he's like, you've got to remember that God can make anyone stand because he's their master, we aren't. He goes on to say, uses another example here, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we, die to, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So I'm going to summarize uh, kind of the point here by did I not turn oh, I forgot to turn on. Um, by saying point number one is don't despise or shame one another. Don't despise or shame one another. He's saying, look, another situation besides you know eating vegetables or eating meat was the idea of what what days are important to you, what holidays are important to you. The Jewish the Jews had a certain holiday calendar the gentiles had a different one and some people were like every every day is the same i don't really celebrate holidays like that um somewhat similar to sometimes people talking about halloween or christmas or you know some of these other holidays that we celebrate right you can you can debate if you want to celebrate them or not and he's like don't don't get into arguments about those things because again, it, they, God is their master. They, they live to God, not we don't answer ultimately to one another. And so he says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. The reason why we believe in the gospel is because Christ died and rose again to be king. So he's saying when, when you step into a situation and judge someone else's uh, application of God's words, say, say, yeah, that's a bad way of doing that. You're, you're becoming king instead of letting God be king, letting Christ be king. And so he's saying don't despise one another in the process. Now, sometimes we think, well, this is just talking about preferences, but in this passage, it's not talking about preferences. It's talking about the moral stands we take, the, the moral situations we, we, we get into. Because he's, we're talking here about things that I think God wants me to do. That's a, a moral decision. It's not a preference. You can't say God wants me to do this and then say, well, it's just a preference, I think. No. No, these are the moral stands we take. And we differ sometimes in, in the New Testament church, they differed. They differed at times strongly. You know, the Jews would do things a certain way. The Gentiles would do things a different way. And, and he's like, don't just start by not despising one another. And that despising one another starts in the heart, right? It's the idea of, you're crazy. You're ridiculous. That's, that's foolish, Okay? And he's saying, if you have that attitude in your heart, you need to, in a sense, cut it out. Why? Because he's, he's making the big point here is, they don't serve you, they serve God. Now he goes on to say, don't shame them as well. He says, verse 13, therefore... Let, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to put not, not never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a, of a brother. I know and persuade in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. 
So he's saying, I have my, my conscience, I can say I can eat anything, but to someone who thinks it's wrong, it's, it's wrong. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let the, what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And that last phrase there helps you understand his basic point. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, so what happens, right, is sometimes what we do with each other is we shame one another when, we t when, we take, when someone takes a position opposite from you, right? We can say, that's crazy. Or what are you thinking? Or, how stupid is that? Or, obviously, sometimes we can just blatantly practice what we know someone else disagrees with. We can say, well, I don't care about you. I'm going to do this anyway. And they're like, oh, man, you, you feel real free to do that. And they feel ashamed for their position. And what he's saying here is, if we respect one another, respect that God is in charge of one another, then we, we don't shame one another in the process of our practice. He's saying, don't, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. I mean, I love bacon, but if, I, if I'm eating with someone who's a vegetarian, I don't need to eat bacon, you know? I love them more than bacon, right? He says, don't shame someone who's different from you. There was a, a reporter, I was reading a story this week about a reporter who was saying, with, with COVID, he was saying, for a long time, I, I knew nobody, nobody who had COVID. It was, I'd go weeks, months without anyone saying they had COVID. And then with this latest Omicron version that's popped up, well, the, I'm, the, I'm finding out more people like, well, yeah, I had it six months ago, or I had it a year ago, or I had it, you know, 12 months, you know. And he's like, why? Why weren't people telling me beforehand that, that, that they had it? And he's like, I think it goes back to a lot because we were unintentionally shaming people who got COVID, right? Because like it's their fault they got COVID or it's, it's, they didn't do enough to avoid it or they weren't smart enough to avoid it or they weren't good enough to avoid it, right? When it's a virus, <laughs> you, know, you know, and that's, we unintentionally at times shame one another based on just the standards we hold and, and the things we say and the attitudes we take. And he's saying here, we have to start here by saying this shaming one another, despising one another for differences destroys community. 
It destroys the work of God. It's, it hurts the work of God in someone else's life. So how, what do we do instead? Well, we do welcome and please one another. He, he starts at the beginning of Romans 14 and says, welcome him. And then he ends the whole section in Romans 15, verse 7, by saying, therefore, welcome one another as God has welcomed you. He's like, to, to welcome someone is to accept them, is to bring them in, is to say, you're, you're, you're welcome here, you belong here, right? And the other thing that he says here is to, to please one another. He says specifically to the strong in Romans 15, 1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of the weak, and not to please ourselves. And then he broads it out because then you could say, well, if you're the one who's like, ah, we shouldn't do that, then we should always do what I think. We should, if I'm saying no, we shouldn't do it. But he broads it out to say, let each of you please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So wherever you fall on a debate, if you're on the negative side, like I don't think we should do this. If you're on the positive side, I think we should. You, you set aside those moral standards for a second and say, you know what? What's more important is how do, how do I love my neighbor? How do, how do I bless them? How do I encourage them? How do I please them in that sense? This doesn't mean going against your own conscience. You see what I'm saying? This is the dilemma, right? Because it's not saying to the person who's saying, you're strong, you can do this. He's saying at times you need to not do it, but he's not saying, he's not saying okay, just go over to the weak person's side and never do it. What he's saying is, maybe let's not make it about <laughs> eating bacon anymore, as far as Christians go, you know? Like, it's not a really big deal if you eat bacon or not as a Christian. It's just not that important. Maybe it's about the righteousness and peace and joy that we find in what Christ has done for us. And make it about that, <laughs> first, foremost, and always. And I'd give you a, a, a life, one of the stories out of my life, and something I had to face in regards to this. It was when I was in college in the 90s, which dates me right there, right? If you can see how old I am, if you know I was in college in the 90s, although I still got 10 years, so hey, I'm good, right? Um, I went to uh, Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, and um, I, I was in a, in a male quartet. We, we sang together for a couple of years, we started, actually, um, because some church in Indiana was like, hey, can you send, send a group to sing, to sing some songs at our Valentine's Day ba banquet? You know what I mean? That's how it started, actually. Uh, and uh, they came to a couple of us, and we're like, hey, uh, what do you think? And we're like, well, hey, we like, there's like three or four of us that like to sing together. We're like, hey, we like to sing together. Maybe we can pull together some songs. Start singing at the Valentine's banquet. So we, I don't know, in like, in like a month, we pulled together four or five songs, right? And we went to the Valentine's banquet, and, uh, and we sang. We liked singing together so much that we kept singing for a couple of years. So we'd been singing together for a couple of years and traveled for the summer, did a lot of different things, and, they, and they're like, hey, it was getting to, oh, this just dates me again. It was getting to the point where they're like, hey, you know, we, we're going to record some things on CD, you know, compact discs and, and, and sell them. And, and we want to do that with you guys to just make money for the school. So we're like, sure, why not? So 
So we go through this process. We record us singing, record it all, and, um, and that's where the, the kicker hit, okay? Because uh, we record it, we, we got it done, and uh, the, the professor in charge, who'd just been hired recently by the school as a music professor, he'd not been around, he hadn't helped us start, he didn't help us pick our music, um, but he, he, uh, he we, we got the songs done, and, and the first song that we did was this lively song, it was, it was fun, but it had a lot of syncopation in it. Now you're going to get a musical theory lesson here a little, really quickly. Syncopation is where you, where, where you start, Cal, correct me if I'm wrong here, right? But if, where you start on the offbeat, right? You, 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 the emphasis is on the offbeat all the time. And this particular professor, we didn't know it at the time, but he believed that that was wrong. That, like, you, you couldn't participate in syncopation. Now, for most of us, we're like, that's crazy, okay? That's, he just didn't, he thought it was, but uh, he, that's what he believed. And we didn't realize at the time, but so when, when it went to master the recording, um, he, he had our pianist redo the entire first song with no syncopation in it at all. And then, and our pianist came to us and was like, you guys aren't going to like this. And we didn't like it. But this is what happened. And so we listened to it. It sounded cheesy. We hated it. You know, the, the guys were really upset. And at the same time, you're faced with this dilemma because this guy didn't choose, to choose these songs. He didn't choose us. He, did, he just got kind of, hey, you got to make this project happen kind of thing. Professors know how this works. And, and, uh, and so pastor, our, our former pastor, Pastor Albert, was preaching on Romans 14 at the time. And, and we were upset. We were like, this is ridiculous. We've been singing this song for, for years. We've sung it a certain way. No one's ever complained. No, you know, you can think of all the reasons to justify why what he chose was a bad, bad thing to do. But when you come right down to it, what's more important? Us recording the song the way we liked it? Or loving our brother who had a different moral standard about syncopation than we did? And you know what? When I realized that, it was tremendously freeing. It actually created a lot of joy in my heart to enter into the situation. Why? Because I could love my brother who was different from me and actually live out the love that Christ had for me in a very practical way. We disagreed. But I could love him even though we disagreed. And that made that whole situation actually a situation of joy and not frustration. Why? Not because I came to agreement on him. I still don't agree that syncopation is bad. <laughs> I like syncopation, actually. But I can choose to not force him to enter into something that he doesn't agree with. And do it joyfully. And that's Paul's basic point here. In fifth, Romans 15, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 
our goal is not to get what we want. Our goal is to build one another up, to encourage one another, to, to, to lift one another up, whether it's in prayer or encouragement or joy. He goes on to say, right, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. It's a quote out of Psalm 69. And basically he's saying, when we love one another, we're not always going to do that to the, to the agreement of everybody, but if you experience reproaches, it's about Christ and loving Christ, not about having everyone agree all the time. He goes on to say, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why my, my point number three is just we share the forgiveness and love of God. You know, it's way more important than a recording that has syncopation or doesn't have syncopation. The fact that I've received forgiveness and mercy from God. That, that my sin's forgiven. That I know where I'm going to live forever. That my inheritance is secure in Christ. That I have a home to enjoy a place to belong, to know that I've been chosen, redeemed. Those things are way more important. And I get to live that out when I run into people that are different from me. I get to say, hey, let's remember what's truly important here. We get a chance once again to think, ah, isn't it awesome that I've been forgiven? Isn't it awesome that they've been forgiven? Because neither of us deserve it. Neither of us have earned it. But we have received the mercy and grace of God. And we get to live that out. And so sometimes it's really not about eating bacon or eating broccoli. It's about, hey, can we fellowship together? Can we enjoy one another's presence? Can we share the mercy we received with one another? Can we talk about the joy we have in Christ together? And so my question to you this, as we think about 2022 and the fact that we're all tired, <laughs> we all are a little tired of all the debates and all the issues and all the problems and all how things pop up and how things change and how what's next. God wants us to love one another. And yes, we're going to run into differences because people see the world differently and people think about how to solve the problems they're facing differently. That's going to happen. But we have received the mercy and grace of God and we have the opportunity to live that out.
by not emphasizing those things, not separating based on those things, but instead not despising one another, and by sharing the love and mercy of God together. And I get it. If you're an introvert, in some ways you've liked COVID because it's like, hey, I don't have to be with anyone. (laughs) I'm in that club, you know. (laughs) Um, But you lose something when you're not with a community, when you're not sharing with one another. So how can you do that? Well, maybe you can pray for one another. You can, we have the prayer boost via Zoom. You don't even have to be physically with one another, but you can still pray together with one another. Or you can come to our fifth Sunday. It's coming up here. Chris is probably going to talk about it here in a minute. Uh, fifth Sunday, January, we're having our, our soup dinner together after church. Come to that. Just share in what, what we have in Christ. I would encourage you, another thing you could do is just meditate on Romans 15, 8 through 13. I can't get there this morning. Romans 15, 8 through 13, where, and I'll just read it for you, though, just because so, he's, he's talking about the hope that we have. He says this, For I tell you that Christ became a circum- to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to con- that is the Jews, right? In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So he's saying Christ came both to help the Jews and the Gentiles see the mercy of God. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And then he says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Don't we need hope in 2022? The hope not of everything going better, but the hope of knowing the God who shows us mercy. The hope of having peace through that God in Jesus Christ, and the hope of living by faith and knowing that I don't have to answer to someone else. I can answer to God. He's the one who make me stand. He's the one who who I follow. He's the one who I'm living for. And we can not shame one another and be like, why are you doing that? We can instead say, go for it. God wants you to do that. That's awesome. Go after what God wants you to do. It's awesome to see people pursuing what God wants them to do with joy in their hearts, whatever it is. So can we together commit to loving one another and instead embracing the differences? Because it's another chance for us to show that it's not about our moral stands. It's about what Christ did for us that gets us all into his mercy and grace. Let's live that out, even in 2022. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder that it's not about us. It's about Christ. 
It's about what he did for us on the cross, how he rose again. And we can encourage one another to live for him. We can share in the mercy and grace we've been given. We can delight in enjoying sharing that love in practical ways. Why? Because people from every tribe and tongue and nation will one day stand before your throne and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing. Because it, it's not about us. It's about Christ. We thank you for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.